0: Tasty and brown like me.
1: <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> I'm Renee Hidalgo, and this is the Rebirth. This is a podcast about life-changing moments, chance encounters, and lessons learned. I've had the tremendous good fortune to meet so many interesting and talented people. I'd love to share their stories with you. My first guest is Sasha Matthew one of my dearest and closest friends. Sasha is a yogi and is of Indian descent. I suppose that an Indian yogi doesn't sound unusual, but yoga was only something introduced to him in university. He is a devout Catholic and even seriously considered becoming a Jesuit priest after high school. As you'll soon hear, his views on yoga are unconventional by Western standards, much like the twists and turns his life has taken so far. He's also a bagpiper. Sasha's late parents, Alice and George, grew up in Kerala, India, a city renowned for being visited by St. Thomas the Apostle in 54 AD and set the foundations for one of the biggest Christian communities in Asia. Alice and George immigrated to North America in the 70s. Sasha and I first connected back when we were about 8 or 9 years old playing novice hockey on the same team, the Red Wings, though I never remembered actually speaking to each other throughout the whole season. After we finished that hockey season, we would meet again at the age of 13 at our local public high school. We found a kinship early on, probably because we were both brown and had similar tastes in music at the time. I remember Jodisi being the musical group we talked about most. We discovered some mutual connections with my cousin knowing his older brother, who both went to the same high school. Being children of immigrant parents was another familiar link. And as children of immigrants in North America, There was usually a conflict of traditions from the mother country and the more progressive views of North America. In Sasha's case, he never shied away from tradition. and seems to have found some sort of comfort there. This is shown in his practice as a Catholic, his exposure to the military, his life as a Yogi. Except along the way, the journey wasn't always so clear cut. And as you'll discover, he's not a conventional Yogi bagpiper or Catholic either. So let's get to it. Here's Sasha talking about
0: the church in today's world. I'm glad I live in a time where I can say, yeah, you know, like, I'm sorry, but if a priest touches somebody, he cut his fucking dick off. I'm glad I live in a time where I can say that, right? Um, and not get burnt. Yeah. Instead, I, people, people can agree with me and say, yeah, cut that priest's dick off, right? Yeah. And, they, and, and people will agree with me and say, you know, that's a good idea. That'll <laughs> teach other priests not to touch boys.
1: That should give you an idea of where this is going. Now just to rewind, here's Sasha talking about an extracurricular activity he enjoyed in high school, which will lead him down a path of many adventures.
0: Air cadets, I had kind of always thought about it when I was small, 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 because I wanted to be a pilot, because my father, when he came here, he's also working in the aviation industry. One thing it did give me that I still do now and never, is the bagpiping. I saw this group play and then at the end of the night they announced that, that and then I went and saw the pipe major and I said well you know can I learn to do that and they said yes and I, I will teach you and he says okay and that in the end that person uh, who's uh, Kirk Johnstone ended up being one of the greatest influences in a very positive way in, uh, in my life. He has taught me something and has influenced me in a very very sense uh, great way as being a, a very uh, fatherly figure and a mentor. I got to go to Art Basil, Art Basil show in Miami. I got to do a premiere show at Momo, the yeah. Museum of Modern Art. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I'm sure there's other ones, but like I said, I'm glad I stuck with it. I had no idea those things were going to happen. I, th- I had no idea I would meet the queen, but it's an amazing thing that the bagpipes, just because I like doing something, it was a hobby and I like playing, it got to take me to have these experiences. And I, I still think that there. Uh, I hope I still continue to have these lovely, mm-hmm. kind of fun experiences. I met a lot of interesting people and done a lot of interesting shows. And I do a lot of funerals and weddings, or a lot of funerals. But uh, you know, I do a lot of other interesting things too. And you never know what people hire you for.
1: When we got to university, Sasha first started out as an English lit major, and Miguel, and just about flunked out. He then went to Concordia University, this time in religious studies. Here he is about school.
0: And I did really poorly. And for my future self to come back and tell me that you're going to love the shit out of university and you're going to do really awesome, and I'll tell you what, you're going to get a master's, um, I would have punched that guy, right? Like, earlier, Sasha would have punched you, Sasha, because you're yeah. like, you're a Well, I might have punched some guy who looked like, just like me, just older, with a beard, and showed up and was like, man, I'd punch that guy. But it, I would have never guessed that, what I'm saying. Like, I wouldn't have seen that coming.
1: It was in school.
0: Sasha had his first formal introduction to yoga,
1: and how it happened was a world's colliding type of event.
0: Now, my first introduction to it is actually through an academic environment, and that's also what may have tainted me forever, right? The class was at McGill in the Department of Religion. It was called Classical Hinduism was the name of the class. We studied at one portion for a few weeks, yoga. And this certainly made some impression on me at that time, and that also juxtaposed what this is inside the Hindu tradition, that I studied in school versus what I see at the bookstore that I work at on the shelf in terms of what is yoga. So I never actually bought any of those books. But one of the things I noticed about the yoga books was like there's yoga the top shelf um, of the self-help and fitness kind of stuff. And it's all very flashy. Like it was all coffee table style books, meaning like if you flip through it, it's all these glossy pages of, of nice color photos of really sexy mm-hmm. people in tight clothes. And that didn't seem. And I used to characterize that as yoga for ass and abs, like this fitness yoga. And this is, this is funny because I may have had this kind of idea before I even started the yoga that there's this fitness yoga, which is separate from other yoga. I used to go into used bookstores a lot. One of the sections I would always go to look at, religion, philosophy. And New Age, or something like that. And I happened to find in one place a book called The Complete Illustrated Book of Yoga, and it cost $2. It was uh, orange, and it has an Indian guy on the cover, but he's wearing little shorts or something like that. And it, says, it says Complete Illustrated Book of Yoga. And it's written by a person named Swami Vishnu I'll be honest, the reason I bought it is because I'm like, hey, it's a yoga book for two bucks. That's one. Two, it was written by an Indian, it was written by a Swami. And in hindsight, now that I know better, being a Swami doesn't necessarily mean you know yoga, but that's one of the reasons I bought it. And then I, I'll be honest, I didn't read it. I put it on a shelf. And then eventually um, it took another year or two before I was introduced to it in terms of physical practice. But at the same time, I continued already then academic studies about yoga. So there were always just kind of, for me, I was studying about it as well as doing this physical practice. So there was never a question of that being confused that, The physical practice is yoga, and so that's part of what my mission is now, is to clarify that confusion, but also show to people that no, 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 that's just one tiny aspect of it. And if you think that feels good, try this. semester where i only had religion classes and that's what got me to go to the grad studies and the grad studies of course uh, in concordia in a master's level you have to study two traditions um so i studied christianity and hinduism mm-hmm. both which have a personal connection to me mm-hmm. hinduism is the national religion of india whatever people say that's the indigenous religion that is there right. and so still now which is again to the you know to the dissatisfaction of my own family i have a strong connection and identifying factor with hinduism although Officially, I am not a Hindu, and nor is my family, right? Right. And it's not that I'm not proud of the tradition that St. Thomas has given me either, right? That's why I also say that I'm a Catholic. Yeah. But I also think a lot like a Hindu. hmm But it's also colored by my Catholic upbringing and things like this, right? Right. I remember at the beginning
1: of university, I think that was the most difficult time, right? So did things... Yeah. In terms of being a student, I was yeah. a terrible student, yeah, yeah. So did things turn around because you had to fulfill your requirements for your religion minor? Is that when things turned around?
0: In, in what, in students? Yeah, as, as as a student. As a student, no, no, no. When things turned around it was because I had hit rock bottom and, and then I had transferred to Concordia. Oh, okay. And then when I came to Concordia, I just, all of a sudden, things had changed. I had also changed, I also at that time blamed a lot on McGill and said Concordia was amazing and I still do feel that, okay. but it's not McGill's fault at the same time I know that, it's my fault. Um, but Concordia gave me a, more of an environment, let's say, to succeed mm-hmm. and also at that time, at that point, two years on, and having been on probation and then being kicked out of McGill, I wanted to succeed. But at the same time, if I hadn't gone through that experience, I would have never become a stellar student. Yeah. I would have gotten through McGill, well, yeah, I mean, whatever, right? Yeah. But in the end, and I wouldn't have gotten, uh, it wouldn't have pushed me to do a master's. But because I did all that and I went to Concordia and I became really interested in the subjects that I was ta- doing and then Concordia was a wonderful place. The students were different, the teachers were different, yeah. the staff were different, everybody's trying to help you. And um, so that's how I mm-hmm. became a different student. But those courses helped me to say, and then... They were interesting i did really well the teachers were encouraging and say well i don't know what i'm going to do if i graduate which i'm about to do mm-hmm. so let's go to this masters and that's where i meet yoga again in the or for the first time in the physical sense because they make an announcement where they say that they were offering a free yoga class once a week mm-hmm. and so i basically said well no more excuses it's free yeah i can do that and so that's how I started. My father had been taking yoga. I've mentioned that before. Yeah. And he had been doing yoga for maybe about two years before I had started. Okay. And he had, again, not familiar with it at all himself beforehand. And he had been very different than I eventually did. Mm-hmm. But he had started with uh, Dr. Bali, who was a kind of a yoga personality here in Montreal. I was an older Indian fellow mm-hmm. who was an amazing individual. Um, my father took classes with him and he would, my father would practice every day, which I appreciated his discipline for that. Mm-hmm. And so I would take a class once a week at the Department of Religion. I would take my dad's mat, go there and we'd have a little class. And that's how I started. And the amusing part is I took that class for two years and the third year I taught that class. So I had been doing yoga with this group of a few students, right? And they said to me, they wanted me to teach. And I said, well, no, I don't have a teaching certificate. And you know yourselves. I only started two years ago. You saw me when I started or whatever, you know. They insisted and I refused. And they said, basically, if you don't do the class, Sasha, we're not going to do yoga anymore. And I don't know if that was like a threat or what. So I said, okay, fine. But I don't know what I'm doing and I'll do it the best I can. But it's just going to be like, and in the end, I repeated. I just did kind of repetition stuff. And I don't know in hindsight if that was a good thing or not. Mm -hmm. My father, I remember not being happy with me. Uh, my father's explanation was, he, he said you shouldn't do that without being certified. Uh-huh. Because he says, you don't know what you're doing. Uh-huh. And he's, he was right, and I, not that I think that certified people know what they're doing now, seeing as I know it's under certification, but he, he was saying basically, you don't have the initiation, you don't have the training, you don't have permission to do this.
1: Permission or not, Sasha continued with this practice, and his first year instructing would turn out to be quite faithful indeed.
0: So in the first year, this is 2004-2005, that was my first year in grad studies, so I, I start doing this class once a week and it's a wonderful thing, um, but my mother dies in February of 2005, and then so I continue taking the class and then it ends in April or May or whatever at the end of this session and then the... The lady who, who teaches the classes, Swami, she's the director at that time of the Montreal Shivananda Centre, and she, says, she said, yeah, there's this place up north, you know, in Valmaray, you should come, I think it'll do you good. Mm-hmm. You know, after I told her about my mother and things, she said, yeah, if you have time this summer, you know, come for a little while, you don't have to pay anything, you have to do a little work. I spent 10 days, helped in the kids' camp. That was certainly uh, an altering experience, which started me off more so in, uh, to, again, to find myself where I am now. Mm-hmm. And, um, I found out that first time when I was there, I went to the museum and remember that orange book I was saying was written by that guy who founded this place and I didn't know that. So there's, yeah, you, it's coincidence, but you want to believe sometimes it's not coincidence. It's more than coincidence. It's <laughs> fate. And uh, so I'm walking in the museum and I'm stunned and the lady asked me, well, why are you stunned about And there's a picture of the him, that's Swami Vishnu Devananda, holding that same copy. And I said, well, I have that book. She's like, no, you don't have that book. She said, no. That book, they don't make it like that. They haven't made that for a long time. That's the original one that they made in the 70s or whatever. Um, now it's this big one that costs a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. I have one of those too. But I said, no, no, I, I, I have that book in particular. And so that's what goes started. So then that time when I came home from the ashram, my first time there, then I read that book. So then I f- read a yoga book fully. And then I started to learn and do more, practice more and do other, do other things. And then I got involved in the Shivananda Center in Montreal after that first year of kids' camp. Yeah, and then continued. And I worked with that organization for many years. right? And eventually, basically, I outgrew that as well. And then I keep going. And now I'm, I'm a man of my own, doing my own bit. But that's technically what a yogi should be. So
1: do you feel that the circumstances of your first yoga camp, how did that help you deal with the death of your mother?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, do you feel it helped? It, do, it did help in, in some ways. It helped me to manage myself, basically. I don't know how else to say it in a, in a, it's not a very specific way. I can't draw exact straight lines between the things. Of course. But my daughter in February, I had a lot, a lot of hard time leading up to it. I was very, very busy because I was taking care of her. She was very sick for a long time, and I was the one doing a majority of the care besides working part-time and and doing trying to finish my undergrad then after my mother died there was this great relief uh or release i should say because that was where all the energies were concentrated but then again i had to deal with my father um and i had a lot of stress so I, i must say especially after that first so this was probably in like she died in february and this is probably august and I went, like I said, for ten days. It was supposed to be seven, supposed to be a week, and I stayed a few more, few days longer because I just didn't want to leave. Sure. But I also recognized that one of the things was getting away from my Montreal, getting away from my house, mm-hmm. getting away from my father for a little while, who like it was very overwhelming the amount how much attention he needed and how much I had mm-hmm. to do. So it was a, there was other factors, and it was such a relief. But also being in that environment, being exposed to that for the first time and seeing this. And at the same time, I will admit now that I was very naive, okay. very naive and thinking, wow, it's like this lovely commune of these like-minded, little, beautiful, beautiful people, you know? In the end, I'm just naive. They're all doing regular nasty things like everywhere else and then anywhere else, but I just didn't know that then, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is okay too, right? Like, can you give an example of... Oh no, I mean, like, like any organization, like I was saying at the Catholic Church, these people in there are just as bad as, or rotten as anybody else. Sure. Or the, in the ashram, no, people aren't actually living like yogic lives or people are smuggling mm-hmm. drugs or alcohol or something like that. Oh. And I, I used to get really upset about that at the beginning because it pissed me off, where people are having sex in the tents. I'm not obviously against any of those things, alcohol, drugs, or sex. What really pissed me off then, and it still does now, I just think it's disrespectful. You can do that anywhere in the world. The one place they ask you not to, why do you have to bring it? You know, I I think that's disrespectful. Because the ashram actually offering you, the person who obviously is dependent on those things, the opportunity to spend a weekend or a week or a month without them. And you spoil that for yourself by bringing the stuff in. The whole point is, you can have a cigarette anywhere in the world. They just say, don't have a cigarette in the ashram, in the ashram and don't bring tobacco in. The whole point of coming is so you don't have to do that, right? But either way, the organization itself is like the Catholic Church. I found that it's it's pretty rotten in, mm-hmm. inside. Um, I still do say it does a lot of positive. I still think the people on the bottom level, like it's all volunteer run, mm-hmm. I think they're very naive, mm-hmm. but they're very, very lovely people, and they're doing really good, and they have lovely intentions. Mm-hmm. I don't think having good intentions is enough. Okay. Uh, but people have, at the bottom level, they're really nice, they have really good intentions, they're really innocent, and they have good hearts, and they're good people. Um, on the upper levels and things, people are playing their games and politics and personal gain, and people are snifing money into their pockets, and other things are happening, and people talk uh, of being celibate when they sleep with young American girls, and they go on the stage. And So there's all kinds of other things, people who are supposed to be monks behaving in exactly scandalous ways, and cover-ups, and Oh, well, you know, the moral aspect of it, again, how do you maintain your authority if you're a swami who knocks up a, a girl and then tries to get her to have an abortion? Well, then what do you do with that, right? So how do you maintain a certain uh, moral authority? And one of the things about the organization, they, again, they try to cover everything up. I'm, I'm amazed that they haven't been busted for such things, but as far as I know, that thing has been so extreme. But if you see in the news recently and over the last several years that every single major yoga organization... Indian and international and these big yoga stars have been all involved in, Uh, of all things, it's always a sex thing, right?
1: So the inconvenient realities emerging about the yoga community may have a lot to do with what Sasha's about to talk about next. This has to do with teacher-student dynamics, the abuse of power,
0: and what it means to be a real guru. Some women get touched in yoga classes by teachers in such a way that if it was on the street, you'd call the police.
1: Right.
0: Such an inappropriate way, right? But you let it go in the yoga class. You should not let that go, right? This is my point, is that you, you, you let it go. You gave up a certain amount of authority of yourself and you gave it over to that person. You submitted yourself to that person, right? Right. And so there's a lot of willing submission in terms of the guru culture because of the fact that it's easier. This idea that the yoga path is not for everybody and it's extremely difficult. The spiritual path is extremely difficult and it's not for everybody. But this idea, especially for Westerners, because they're not familiar with what the real aspect of a guru is, that this person is going to save you, that they're going to be a Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. They're going to do it for you. But that's not true, not at all. And that's basically what in all aspects of philosophical Hinduism, and especially in yoga, tells you. Nobody can do it. And it even says, not even God, only you can do it, right? So it says, Guru can teach you, Guru can show you the way, but in the end, you have to walk it. He can show you the path. You have to walk the path. They say the grace of God will help you, but in the end, God's not going to get you through the door. He will bring you to the door. Grace of God is important, faith in God is important, they say, but uh, at the same time, God's not going to do it for you. You have to do it. So this idea of yeah, having a guru is important because we need to know that we're on the right path. But at the same time, these gurus who are doing those things are not really gurus. There are many studies on this in terms of the psychology of uh, guru worship and the, the psychology of searching. And I will be honest, I was also prey to that myself wanting a guru, because there's something also exotic about that system, right? And there's something very interesting about that and having a personal connection with somebody, but that also puts you into certain positions sure. where you're willing to accept things because you really want that person to be your guru. And I really wanted people to be my guru at different, different times as well. I, luckily, I've never been in a, any situation where I it was compromised. I don't think I would appreciate that, but it also helped me to see that people are people, right? A real guru is a real guru, and it's true. Where are the gurus now? They're not. And my master himself would say it to me: any person who tells you they're a guru is obviously not. <laughs> if yeah. they tell you, <laughs> yeah, it's no, 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 no. They're not. They're, they're not an actual enlightened guru or whatever like that. Guru, you can use in its yeah. in the usual sense in English, in terms of just like a master, right? Yeah. My guru. Yeah, you can use it that way. But a real guru is is is, is something else who has already yeah. gone beyond the mind, and then they, that's why they can help you. Yoga offers you that power, and everybody rejects it. Everybody says they want to be free. Nobody actually wants to be, because it requires a huge commitment, a huge work. It takes a long time. It's really hard. It's not pleasant. I don't know what. But like they say, they want to learn something, but they don't really. They want to be free, but they don't really want to be free. And that's what I do with these yoga teachers. Teach me, Sasha, and they put cotton wool in their ears. I'm like, well, then you don't really want to learn, do you?
1: Well, what do you think these people really want then? If they don't, if they're saying that they want to learn, they, they're not.
0: I'm not sure what they, they want. Part of it is, again, is well, for me in the yogic sense, it's ego. It's part of them is telling themselves that they do know what yoga is really about. Part of them is telling them, yeah, I have been taking classes with this guy. Yeah, but you didn't listen to anything I said. What does it matter, right? Uh, so I think that really factors into things. And so I, I remember somebody telling me, she's like, I don't see why you say there's no connection to Indian things with like that. We use these Sanskrit names and things like that. Yeah. But you understand why it's more insulting that it's just lip service. You don't know what any of this stuff means. You butcher the shit, and you don't have to even do it anymore. And you do it, and you, you assume that's good enough. That white girl telling me that said, that's my nod to India, mm-hmm. right? I butcher these Sanskrit names and asanas. And I'm like, what does that say about the, the respect for the tradition and things like right. this, right? Like, where, where is that? And she's like, hmm? So, no, I don't find there's that much of a connection, I would say to that. And then people kind of harp on me for that. Why? Because they they don't feel that way themselves. They think that's a wonderful thing that they're doing, that that's great. And I think, no, that's nothing. That's nothing. Because the fact is, you do it as lip service. If you did it for another reason, then only to make that connection, then because it was intrinsically valuable to what you were doing that would be a different thing but if you do it just to prove that you pretend you know yoga you still don't know yoga you knew a couple of asana names doesn't mean i know names of a few surgeries doesn't make me a surgeon
1: for you what is yoga then in your talk at radio canada mm-hmm. that the western idea of yoga with the postures and the asanas is the pinky toe of yoga
0: mm-hmm. right my my claim is that i just feel it's a shame. I will that what is best about yoga is being neglected or is being forgotten or is in jeopardy of being forgotten. I don't think it's the exercise. And here's the thing is people are attached to the exercises. So when I tell yoga teachers that, well, who fucking cares about asanas? They get all upset. And here's the thing that people don't agree and People will sometimes come and secretly agree with me, which a girl did to me after today saying that, and she didn't want to admit it. She told me these two things. And I said, what did you just tell me? And I had to explain to her what she just said to me. She said, before yoga, I used to do capoeira. She said, that used to give me a similar feeling when I started doing yoga. And I do yoga, I started to get that same feeling. I said, you see, what's the fucking difference between the yoga postures and the capoeira? It was about your concentration. Yeah, you're moving, you're breathing, but it's about your concentration, right? So many athletes uh, will talk about that same thing, being in the zone. Some runners run, and it's literally, they describe it as, they don't know it, they're describing it, that, but they describe it in the same words as meditation kind of thing, right? right? Where they describe where, um, or what they can do with their mind when they're running, right? So I say, and in terms of the asanas in general, I, I tell people, and, it's, and I, I, th- I think that's true, we, we, I, I'm not pretending that yoga is the greatest thing on earth in terms of the, the physical practice. Because I say, if it's just about exercise, there are more efficient and effective exercise methods or systems than yoga. Mm. There are. If you want to lose weight, or, and there are other, I mean, if it's just flexibility, listen, there's a lot of great flexibility programs out there. Ever learn anything from martial arts? They've got some crazy flexibility techniques. So what is it about the, the, the yoga? And, and again, the other thing, as I say, is, what is people get lost in it, mm-hmm. meaning we get lost with our little toe mm-hmm. because we forget what is the purpose. Yoga, hatha yoga, when I say hatha yoga, I mean the, these physical practices, the asanas and the mm-hmm. postures and things. Well, what is the purpose of that? People lose sight of purpose and everything, but what was the purpose of that? Mm-hmm. Health. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, what can it give you? What can it possibly give you beyond health? What can you expect? More health? I'm sorry, health is just health. Mm-hmm. You can't get more healthy once you've hit like the peak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, glorying in the body and getting attached to that is being unyogic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? So then you become excessively attached to this beautiful, limber, thin, life. Lith- looks good naked body, right? Mm -hmm. So what I, I really do feel that what yoga offers that is really inviting, interesting, exciting, challenging is not the exercise at all, but it's the mental exercises. It's the challenge to the mind. And that's also where yoga is effective or where you'll feel that you'll see the change. Because I also tell people, like, yeah, people feel good after doing yoga. Anybody do exercise? You feel pretty good after doing exercise. And I'm certain if people who did regular workouts in gyms gave themselves 10 minutes of relaxation after their workout, they would feel amazing. So I'm like, it's not just moving around and doing things like that. I mean, in the Hatha Yoga, technically, that should be done in a specific way, which people don't necessarily do. It should be really, really hyper concentration, hyper awareness and hyper attention when you're doing it. But people just kind of do whatever. Mm -hmm. That's also fine. But what I mean is if we just do that, we shouldn't be disappointed in yoga and we shouldn't be angry with yoga doesn't work or anything like that. It's because we're not really doing yoga. Basically, we should not expect our life to be radically changed by just doing exercises. And if we do, we will be disappointed if that's what we're expecting. Because why would you think that? They never make that claim. People now may make that claim. Yoga changed your life, you know, all those things. No, that's not true, though. Yeah, in trivial ways, sure. Mm-hmm. You have smaller pants. Or you can bend to tie your laces now. Or you're, you have an easier time playing with your kid. Fine. I, I consider all those all trivial. They're all positive, don't get me wrong. But they're still superficial, superficial yeah. Okay. So I'm looking for something deeper, exactly that. Some, some deeper, profound change in your life. That doesn't happen in the body. That happens in the mind. And so I I feel like people who are like, yeah, 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 yoga, 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 will change everything. No, but it's not going to. And I I feel bad for those people who think it's going to because exercise and exercise and exercise, you keep changing your body. The mind is still not being dealt with, right? So what are
1: these mental challenges of yoga that like, is there a practice?
0: But it had to do with what we were saying before about like, what's easier and what's more accessible and right. palatable, right? Somebody was telling me once, yeah, but we've made it so accessible to people. I said, yeah, that's great. It wasn't supposed to be. Nobody asked you to go and sell this to people. No offense, but nobody fucking asked you to do that, okay? And that guy's argument, and I, I corrected him, and said, whoa, whoa, your mistake is thinking at any point ever yoga was popular anywhere, including India. It was never, it was never supposed to be. That's what it says in the text. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's for the strong, to make them stronger. It's a very difficult path. And so what they've done here is watered it down. They've made it easy and that's why it's accessible to everybody, which is nice. But we've built this thing that's one floor and we've basically closed all the other stories. So people often say to me, uh, yeah, but Sasha, that's the entrance for most people, for everybody. I said, yeah, that's the entrance and then the end also. They just stay there. That's my danger. I don't have a problem with anybody doing it. And I encourage people to continue to do physical asanas because why? It keeps you in a sound body. It keeps you healthy. And it is a good system for that, right? If you're not crazy into fitness, it's an excellent system to keep you in sound fitness, uh, in health, I should say. But what do you do with the the, the mind? How do you deal with that? And this is where I said, well, we can do much more with the yoga. So yoga is basically trying to tell you, well, deal with your mind. And my new slogan, that's what I put on the website, change your mind and change your life. This is the funniest thing about my personal situation, which I told you, we talked about in the restaurant. It's like, I'm begging people to take this amazing gem of a diamond from me and people don't want it. I'm giving it away and people don't want it. People are so attached to their suffering, so attached to their shitty lives and so attached to doing exercises and saying it's yoga that they don't want to be given something more. Do you think it's that they don't want anything better or is it because they don't know? It's both, right? So part of it is that's where I come in in terms of the preservation and the why even though people don't like what I have to say, I keep going out and saying it because I think it's important because one of the things is that yoga teachers don't know anything and so they're not teaching that to yoga students and so yoga students don't know. So most people who are coming in, this is the danger, think that this is it. This is it. And they love it, they enjoy it, which I think is fine. And I think that's great. I also en- enjoyed and enjoy still my, my, my practice. But uh, this idea of an entrance, if no one ever tells them there's other floors, what happens is my problem. Oh yeah, here's the thing. hatha Yoga is never supposed to be an end. It is only a means. But this problem of not knowing that there's other things, Ends up, people interpret this as an end. We just do our physical practice and that's where it ends. No, for me, it's the idea of like, why would you keep training wheels on longer than you need to? Ever find a kid who wants to keep his training wheels on? Ever find a single kid who wants to keep them on? No, so what I find interesting, and again, people find it insulting because their ego comes in, but I'm saying like, why do you guys want to stay in elementary school? The idea is you, we progress, mm-hmm. but people don't realize it. But technically, if you just stop there, you've stopped. You're just doing this and you do it over and over again. Somebody, like my master told me this story about like somebody goes in and tells his boss, I've worked here for 10 years, I, I, I'd like a raise. And he says, what are you talking about? You've worked here for two years, five times. Meaning he hasn't done anything new or interesting. He hasn't learned anything. He's basically that first two years, he's just repeated everything over and over again. I'm like, well, why do you deserve a raise then? He says, and the, what, what he's saying is like, well, if you just just doing the same thing, are you really learning anything? Are you doing anything? I don't know. I suspect no. I think
1: it's clear that what Sasha is showing us is how yoga is so much more than the physical practice.
0: It's true that to do these other practices in the mind, we have to have a certain stability in our lives, but also to be happy we need to be healthy. That's a base. So it's true that if we're suffering in the body, it's, it's impossible. Same way that if we're suffering from hunger, we cannot be engaged in yoga, right? If we're struggling for the, the roof that we live, we have to have a certain stability in our life to, sure. to, to, to really um, engage or commit ourselves to some real practice. And I was telling the group today, in, there's 195 sutras. And people always joke because of 195, two sutras are about asanas, about postures, okay? Two. Obviously to him, this is not important. Now, the 99% is postures and asanas and things like that, right? And the 1% that they're forced to do because they need to do it in the curriculum is to call Sasha and talk to them about this stuff. But one of the things is about these teacher trainings, and this is a very interesting topic that I thought, originally after I had finished my MA, if I had done a PhD, I would do it this about the teacher trainings. Because The teacher trainings, I realize, are the ones that disseminate the knowledge in the modern times now about this yoga stuff. So how much emphasis within a training they put to these things shows how they feel about it. Same way, potentially giving only 1% of his attention to this, says to us that this was obviously not that big of a deal or not important, and he doesn't want us to spend a lot of time on this, right? Same way. So... They have all these hours dedicated to asanas and anatomy and physiology and things that, and they have just a few hours dedicated to me. And it's almost like, it's okay if you don't pay attention kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's also not only how much time is given the priority of it, but it's also the presentation of it is shown that it's, it's not that important. And so they'll also get that impression. The students who are taking that training, who are about to become teachers, will also understand that same concept, right? They'll understand that, That's not important. This is important because that's what they got through their training, right? And that's problematic. And so this is the thing that I'm really fighting against the current and people don't like what I have to say and people don't believe me. But that's the ego that doesn't believe me. It's still the truth, whether you like it or not, right? But that's the situation of it, right?
1: You said that the literature about Asanas forms about 1% of all of the yoga sutras. Do you think it's because people have a hard time seeing what's beyond the physical realm? And that the mental realm is so abstract that it's so hard for them to see what else is there to do?
0: Yeah, it's much more concrete, right? To deal with the physical and yeah. material world. Like It's much more physical. And that's why I do agree that when people say it is the entrance point for yoga, it's true. Because I often tell people, but why it's easier, yes, it's the entrance point, but the entrance point is easier. It's basically level one of whatever video game. Because when I say right hand up, it does it. When I say mind stop, it doesn't do it. That is difficult. So, Controlling the body is the start. So learn to control the body. This will create good mental habits to start to be able to control other parts of your life and your mind. But we start with our own body. So yeah. starting discipline. Basically, what is the posture? It's a form of discipline for the body, right? Yeah. Why? So that eventually the body stops being rebellious. He becomes our ally or he is, you know, the... Um, domesticated by us, right? We master the book. But then we have to watch the other one. So this was okay, this was like a dog, but there's another guy up there and that he's gotta get dealt with and he's much, uh, much more a big deal. But that's the one where we're saying that that will make the big effects or the profound changes in our lives. And this is the thing, when we are saying about what's seen and what's not seen, is yoga is not just a philosophy I don't feel like, we can actually very easily frame it as a psychology. Because it basically, what potentially says in the Yoga Sutras is, is what is the mind, how it works, and then he tells you what you can do about it. He gives you the method, right? So, it is a psychology in, in that sense. Not exactly Western psychology, I understand, but it is a psychology, meaning it's basically about the mind. Right. right? And it's a thing that, like, post-Freud stuff, where people got really, really, and still now, people are very interested or people, it's very popular to have therapy, psychoanalysis of any type, but say psychiatry or psychology is very, and counseling is very, very, very popular. It's so much so that there's no stigma about it anymore. People get insurance. Everybody's doing it. It's good for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. But it's again part of the guru thing. What I'm saying is, yoga offers the same thing as the therapy. But you have to do it to yourself, sure. which is difficult. So, again, it comes down to what's easier if somebody asks me or probes me the questions or gets. Yeah. Because, in the end, the psychologist, the psychologist will always tell you in the first meeting, he's like, listen, I, I prompt you and things like that, but you're the one who does the catharsis and so everything comes yeah. out of you. It's still you who's doing this upheaval within yourself, or whatever that. I'm just, I give the right questions or the cues or the, the things to think about that will evoke a reaction from you. That's what they're trained to do. But if you just learn directly about your own mind, you can do it yourself. So I still think there is an interest in doing that because we start to realize with that modern psychology is that, yeah, happiness obviously is in the mind. And if we can learn to deal with our own mind, if we can learn to understand our own experiences, our own mind, then we can learn to be happy. But if we apply that, that's the modern psychology, but yoga would say the same thing, just check your mind, deal with your own mind, deal with yourself, and then it's also very proactive. I think the best thing we can do for the world. Okay, Christ said it himself. We see the speck in someone else's eye before we see the log in our own, right? Meaning, we spend a lot of time trying to, well, he's saying we're being critical of other people when we have the bigger defects. Yes, but what I'm saying is we spend a lot of time being critical of other people, trying to change other people. Impossible for one. Two, the only person we can change is ourselves. And instead we waste our time and try to spend, change other people, no. So what I mean is, it sounds very selfish, and I try to tell people it's not. Because yoga is individual-based, not Western individualism. That's mm-hmm. a mistake. That's a selfish individualism. Yoga is very individualism because it recognizes each person has the power to change themselves and, and control themselves and nothing else. So let's do that. And it gives you a tremendous amount of power. But what it means is, if every person was... Basically, everybody practiced what I tell them, check yourself... Imagine what the world would be like if people did examine themselves and they check themselves, the world would be a better place. Society would be a better place.
1: So you think it's just a simple question of people being able to reflect?
0: Is the beginning is reflection. i was starting to think of that. I think it's thorough. I don't know if you can correct me. I was thinking about it today. Whoever said that the unexamined life is not worth living. I really, really feel that that's the case. Exact The case now, because a lot of people do live blindly and it's, it's not good. So the way I tell people, again, you should expect this, it's logic, but again, people don't apply this logic or don't ask these questions. I said, if you choose to live blind or if you choose to live with your eyes closed, you should expect to bump into things, Mm -hmm. meaning have problems in life, like, Mm -hmm. It's trivial some some more extreme meaning you're gonna bump your toe. You're gonna stu- uh, stub your toe You're gonna bump your knee or whatever the case mm-hmm. they're little ones But then sometimes you may fall into a hole mm-hmm. right and hurt yourself severely right this again with the analogy of walking around with your eyes closed right. If you're gonna do that you should expect to bang into things, right? Yeah, so same thing if we just charge through life without actually thinking about what's going on in life mm-hmm. Yeah, we should expect to find ourselves being like met by certain obstacles and things like this right sure. And that extends, of course, into yoga, where they say, yeah, you, you definitely have to examine your life if you want it yeah. to. The other thing is, if you want to change, if you want to change for the better or anything like that in any way, we, mm-hmm. something positive, we, we have to examine what it is that it, what's going on to see that we can change. If you never ever ask the questions about whatever, then you, how do you know something's off, something's right, or something could be better? Even yeah. if it's not wrong, What something could be better, and how do we make it that way? Yeah? That's how I think, I mean, in a global scale, technically it could work. That's my like, positive thinking in terms of yoga being like, yeah, I don't mean, I do not mean at all like some blonde girls will say in yoga journal or something like, yeah, if everybody did yoga, the world would be a great place. They mean like everybody stood on their head or something like that. No, That's nonsense. We still have wars, uh-huh. right? But if we, each individual person became a superhuman being, mm-hmm. each human being became an enlightened human being, Enlightened, not in the sense of like super enlightened, but I mean, in in, in a a more evolved human being, I should say that way, right? In terms of themselves. Mm -hmm. We would be in a very different place, but the only person we can affect and change is ourselves. Mm -hmm. But what I find problematic is people tend to give that away, right? And don't take, they say they want to be powerful, we said this before, but that one power you have of being able to really profoundly change yourself Mm -hmm. that you... Ignore, you don't do, and you try instead to change other people or change whatever situation. No, no, change yourself. Situation's not changing. Change yourself in regard to the situation, and you'll be okay. But if you don't, it's going to keep sucking. Every day you got to go there, right? Find a different way to think about it.
1: So you said reflection is the first
0: step? I would say reflection is very key. I I think it's important to be critical, and that's very difficult, but I think it's extremely important in the yogic aspect to be extremely critical. And I I encourage that. I said everything that I tell you, be critical. See if it actually makes sense. And see, again, those ideas that are here in their head, that what works and what doesn't work together anymore and what things certain things have to be thrown out. They have to be thrown out.
1: I guess it's hard the whole aspect of being critical. Maybe it seems difficult in the situation where you have a guru student relationship.
0: But again, that's where we'd have to take our critical aspect aside. It doesn't make sense in yoga. We should always that's a critical aspect. Mm-hmm. I, I talked about, I, well, I didn't tell them it was most easily, but I, I was telling them today about don't, don't trust anybody who doesn't let you question them, mm-hmm. which is one thing she taught me. I was like, yeah, well, that's a good point. So she already prepared me for that kind of um, critical aspect then. It's like, no, ask questions. Wait, 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 just because that guy said that. Think about it, though. Wait, what he said makes sense? Right, no, it, no, it didn't. And, then you, you know, and this is what helped me to break with Shivananda when I realized they were unwilling and unable to answer my questions. Both, unwilling and unable. And then I never went back. The last thing I did with them, amazingly enough, was my advanced teacher training, which was not very advanced at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at that point, I had done a lot of my own stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just terrible. They didn't know anything. They were reading out of a book. They were reading out of Swami Vishnu's notes. And then they couldn't actually answer questions. And they would make jokes about me instead and say, like basically they told me in the end to like, basically sit down and shut up in the back, right? Mm-hmm. Like just. Because I'm not trying to show off. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to a- ask a question about something that they're trying to present. But I also realize, for one, they don't have the understanding. They haven't incorporated that into themselves. That's why they need to read Swami Vishnu's notes. His notebook, right? Because like, they don't actually have never understood that. They've just been reading his notes to us for 20 years. That's pretty sad. Two, when you're asking the questions, they deflect the answer. And so then I realize, wait. And then they tell me things like, you don't have faith enough. Or one day you'll see, blah, blah, blah. No. I realized, you don't know the answers. And then I never went back. And just what so happens And when I was in India, I got to meet Mohanji. And then that was exactly what I was looking for, a person with knowledge. And that's the mistake of a guru, of looking for a guru with charisma and things like that, and mm-hmm. who's interesting. And yeah, but who cares? If they don't know anything, they don't know anything, right? What would you rather, you know? Do you want to do you want your you you want a doctor who's uh, who's nice or do you want a doctor who's good they said about yoga teachers being nice is not good enough you want to be good you want to know your subject know whatever you're talking about know yoga if you're going to be a yoga teacher you know this is what i'm saying and then um and, and know the subject well and know what you don't know and also be nice too that's a bonus but being nice is not good enough so i said like being a doctor you're just nice, but you don't really know what you're doing? Is that really something you want as a doctor? hmm <laughs> Not really, right? Not, not at all. Not at all.
1: So even a teacher needs a teacher, and learning from someone else more knowledgeable and experienced is a good place to start. But sometimes the best learning is on your own. Next up, self-sufficient learning. Sasha's Guru, An Adventure to India, and Sasha's Teaching Method. So how do you go about learning more and more? Like when you feel like you've outgrown these this sources is my, of learning?
0: That was my issue, right? So when we don't have these kind of places. So I'm lucky I found other books and I found other places. But then in the end, it comes what I realized myself. And it's not a very pleasant thought at first, but you are alone right? But that's not always bad. You have to go through this and you're going to learn. And yeah, you make wrong turns and you turn back. But through logic, dispassion and practice, you know, we just keep going at it. Um, The same thing when I met Mohanji, I still wanted him to like, just, you know, be my guru and take away my students. And he didn't make it easy on me. And I'm glad he didn't. Um, and he's the guru that I really need. One person who does have knowledge, who has, can answer questions, and who doesn't want to be my guru. That makes sense to me. That all, that all that fits together, right? Like, he's like, no, I don't want it. But I'll answer your questions. It's fine if you really...
1: Who's Mohanji and how did you meet him?
0: Uh, Mohanji is my master. I, I met him, I literally, I went to India to meet him. I mean, I, I go to India anyways, but I, I mean, I went to India, um, and I specifically went to meet him because I found out he's alive and he, t- he teaches a course or something like this. For some reason, Mohanji wrote a biography in 2010, I believe, and it just had just come out. And I bought a copy of it and I read it, and I was extraordinarily inspired by, and still am, by this amazing individual. But in the back of the book, there's a little picture of Mohanji and his wife and says, Eiji Mohan... And his wife, Indra, live in Chennai and teach courses or something like this. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's alive? This guy's okay. So I, I, I just searched online Meiji Mohan and I found their, their website, Swasta Yoga. And they're not very well known and they're not very prevalent. And they travel a little bit and give lectures and things. I've st- done other courses with him since then. and I've studied with him personally. But that first course was, again, after that advanced training course I was saying with Shivananda. I basically kind of lingered around Shivananda for the next few months I just taught my class once a week there and then I basically said okay I'm going to India and then I never went back that was my breakup because before going to India I had registered for the course I was already Mm -hmm. planning this right so I got myself to Chennai in January of 2012 and then I had taken this three-week course with him and it was very interesting for one Many of the things that I was coming into conflict with in Shivananda, I, I was very happily gratified there. So there was many things in, the, in terms of the practice that I didn't feel was natural, didn't feel right. To do bandhas when you take a deep inhale, that doesn't make sense to me, how can you do it? Meaning, how can you take a deep, full breath of air and then suck in your belly? For me, I'm like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's full of air. Physically, it doesn't make sense. Yeah and there's other aspects of it too there are certain other things in the practice that like the sequencing posture certain things that make sense to me and i started to apply changes i started to do things again like i said outside of the Shivananda class i was teaching elsewhere shivananda i would toe the party line i would teach in the studio i would teach their thing but i was already teaching outside in companies and teaching us Mm -hmm. to for work and for one shivananda is not a very marketable style practical in that sense two I was very much adapting. I was using that as a base, but I was doing a different style of class and I was doing different things. But at the same time, I wasn't super confident that what I was doing was actually correct or anything like that. It just felt better. And intuitively, this seemed to be better than the shivananda stuff that I was doing, whatever. And it was nice to take this class and also be proved right. And so it was basically just taking the course in general was saying, yes, you're on the right path or him telling, saying certain things that it should be done like this, and I'm like, oh, thank God. That's what I've been doing, and I've been saying, or that's what I felt. So it was a little bit more validating uh, uh, for me and my own personal thing, and then, of course, that gave me a framework, because like I said, out of being out of Shivananda in that time where I learned all those things and I was doing my own thing, I had nobody to ask those questions. I didn't know, and I did my experimentation and things like that, and then, but it was nice to have it validated and saying that, yeah, this is the way it should be done. I'm like, oh, wow, cool. So I met him like that, and I've been kind of attached to him ever, ever since.
1: So as a teacher, do you still teach asanas?
0: I, I do, but like I was saying, more as a practical reason. Not because I'm saying I don't like it. Sometimes I get frustrated with it because I see that I... It, unfortunately, it creates further blocks for people, right? People get, att- people get attached to it. People do... Oh. A, lot, a lot of times, people do their their yoga and non-yogic ways, right? They get attached to certain things or they don't do it properly or basically they don't pay attention. I get frustrated with that. Or people who, uh, yeah, like I was saying, that people who are completely distracted or don't even listen to instructions or don't pay attention or they don't even get the minimal benefits that they can get out of this, yeah. um, out of it. You know, people who won't close their eyes in relaxation or something. I don't know what. Um, well, at the same time, though, know, Angela will always remind me, at the same time, despite my frustration, I still I mean, not for, not for everybody's style, but I still do it, do it well. And um, people enjoy the classes. And she was saying, it's like, yeah, but you know, people still get something out of it. You're still helping people. You know, that's true. So, you know, it's not always a question of hating my classes. Sometimes I go through moments of frustration and things like that. Honestly, at the same time, if I could make a proper living in teaching in another way, in a theoretical way, or teaching people who are really... Teaching the asana classes in a a more formatted way that I would be comfortable Mm -hmm. with formatting, meaning smaller groups and individual stuff where people will learn what's good for them and not this generalized classes where I have people who are like 33 and I have a person who's uh, 75 in the Mm -hmm. same class. Well, I can't really help anybody, can I? But if I saw the 33-year-old and the 75-year-old separately, I could teach them how to do incredible things for themselves, Mm -hmm. right? And that's the goal. And so the other thing is through these yoga classes that I don't like is people create a dependence on me. Which is what I'm trying not to, like Like a lot of yoga teachers feed off of that. But what I said is in true yoga sense, ideally, eventually I would be out of a job. Mm -hmm. Because I've taught everybody who needs to be taught. Like everybody knows how to do it and you do it your own. But unfortunately, that's not how things work. We know people like to go to classes and do things It's easier for motivation. There's, There's positive aspects of it as well. My only shame is that you're not actually getting the most out you can get out of even the physical practice if you're just doing these generic mm-hmm. um, one-size-fits-all things because, the, frankly, the truth is, Renee, that one size does not fit all. Mm-hmm. We're all made differently. We all do different things at work. We all have done different things for the last few years. We all eat different things. It's very different. And then so you take this class where everybody is very different mm-hmm. and you want them all to do the same thing. So one-size-fits-all is really, really foolish in yoga, but they do it. Okay. And, Mm-hmm. That it's not logical, right? Sure. That's not the spirit of the asanas. But um, what I'd like to do personally more of now is more of the, the talks and things like even what we're just doing this evening right. or what I did this morning. Uh, for one, that would mean working in things that I like to do and find interesting. And I also find there I'm unique. Yeah. People, other people don't have it. But let's face it, all these people who do all those teacher trainings a diamond dozen, there's thousands of them now, hundreds of them in Montreal, you know, probably thousands, mm-hmm. of yoga teachers who will be fine. They'll do great, they'll, they'll do great asana classes. Mm-hmm. I also do a great asana class, that's what I'm saying, but I'm like, well, you know, let them do that then. There's so many yoga teachers, young yoga teachers, who will do this okay. really well, that people will enjoy and get a lot of benefit. But I'll tell you what they can't do, what no one else can do is talk about these things. Mm-hmm. And That's what I want to do, and that's, I'm the only guy who's able to do that question is finding the audience and things like that so but at the same time I don't want to necessarily give it up entirely I don't mind teaching a little bit on the mm-hmm. side but I do go through my moments of frustration but it's not all bad mm-hmm. um, it depends on the groups and the people and uh, the comprehension but in each group I have certain students of course that I prefer mm-hmm. why but it's because of the way they are mm-hmm. the way they practice not because we have a close relationship and they tip me or anything like that it's just because I appreciate that they've, and I can see that they've, they've learned something, mm-hmm. right? And I can appreciate that. And then there are some people who have been taking it for years right. on the moon. The guy's always looking around. The guy yeah. thinks he's amazing because he's Asian. He's like, yeah, you and me, we know what's going on. All these white women, they don't know what's going He's an old Vietnamese guy mm-hmm. who is in Tai Chi. But I'm like, no, you're the worst, man. He just doesn't get it. You're the worst. You're just all over the place, you look around, and then you also don't listen to the instructions, so you do whatever, you know. So, but he's been taking my class for like five years. I don't even bother, I'm like, oh, whatever. He just does whatever he's gotta do. I don't mind that either, because I understand that people are people.
1: Yoga losing its way on its journey to North America. Sasha is here to remind us what its true essence is, so that it doesn't get lost, especially since we're so fixated on yoga's pinky toe. When you say that yoga has kind of lost its way, do you feel that this is reflected in the fact that it's a multi-billion dollar industry?
0: Sure, which again is anti-yogic. It's not a question of doing business or anything, no, that's, that's the yoga part. It's the yoga part is that the, how they did the business. The business is based on accessorizing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, and it's the truth of it, is that at, in essence, yoga does encourage a more simplistic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I often quote Bruce Lee, as one of, and he's one of my greatest inspirations in terms of yoga, and one of the things he said, it's not about a daily increase, it's about daily decrease. Hack away at the end, he said, mm-hmm. right? And it's the same thing at, in yoga, and I even say that in my asana Sometimes, don't think about a building of something in the muscles. Think about diminishing resistance. Mm-hmm. Don't think of building strength or building flexibility. Think of diminishing resistance, mm-hmm. like learning them to let them soften. So that's the hardest part. We're so used to going hard. What we have to learn how to do is let go. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to be trained. We've been trained since we were kids in this society to go faster, to uh, and to flex. Mm-hmm that that's why this is kind of important because people actually don't know how to relax Mm -hmm. because they were never taught. And it's unfortunate because our society didn't put a value on it. Right. So they were taught how to run faster, but they didn't get taught how to take a nap, you know, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But the yoga in general about it being, I I feel like it's been diluted. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I said, they're trying to keep the name. I said, who fucking cares? It doesn't matter now. Yoga doesn't mean fuck all. That's the thing. If you use yoga for everything, the word itself doesn't mean anything anymore, right? And that's, I don't know, are we at that point? I also, I, like I said, I don't think the Indian government can do anything. People do use it the way they use it. I'm not trying to fight to say that, I, I keep telling people to be clear about what it was. I'm not expecting all of a sudden people to start calling yoga Hatha Yoga, you know, or mm. calling it just exercises or something like that not expecting that either but maybe my main goal is that the real yoga which is a gift to humanity which is a gift to mankind is not lost that some people practice but again if it's only a few but that's the difficult part and so what i tell them is don't settle like in grade five you know don't stop here don't stay on the first floor for me the other one i use on the website is like oh you know don't settle for brass you know there's gold and you settle for brass because it came to you easier and it shines. But don't settle for that. Gold is there and that's also your birthright and it's, it's accessible to you as well. But you kind of settle for this. It's like, you know, you take the first prize rather than the grand prize. Yeah, but you could have the grand prize also. And still keep the, 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 the first prize. You know, like, oh, okay, I'll take the deal and walk away. No, no, you can still go. You can still continue and not lose the game, right? Um, but people tend to stay stay there, and so again, my my it's a shame for yoga, but more so, what I'm certain I I also feel it's a shame for humanity because if we if that's lost, I think that's something that is it, that it's it's not Indian, it's not Hindu, it's it's universal, and why it's universal is because it potentially says the mind is the same. He wrote that two thousand years ago. Or it was, was compiled two thousand years ago, but at the same time, the mind is the same. Skin colors are different, heights are different, genders are different, you know, sexual organs. But the mind is the same for all human beings. Mm-hmm. How it functions, right? So that's what he's said, and it's, it was the same two thousand years ago the mm-hmm. way it functioned. So I, I think it's a shame that we would lose that knowledge that can be extremely helpful to people, much more helpful than exercise, common exercise that we can do. Yeah. Um, so it's a shame that it's reduced to the, the little toe. It's a shame because, frankly well, little toe isn't going to do that much for us, right? But the rest of our body can do a hell of a lot. To reach the higher
1: levels of yoga, moving beyond the asanas and the reflection, I'm assuming that meditation has a big part.
0: It's a different ways. Like they were asking me today, what are practical things we can do? Well, for one, we have to learn how the mind operates. Because if you don't know you're conditioned, how can you recognize them? Or if you don't, if your conditioning keeps you from recognizing conditionings, right? So the first thing is they say, well, we'll tell you how the mind works. And so they explain to you how the mind works. And there's many factors that influence our knowledge and our perception of things. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. We don't hear things as they are. We hear things as we are. We take in information to our senses, but they're all influenced by certain things before they even get to be thoughts. So it's a question of finding out conditionings and learning about how your own mind works. And so the first thing is learn how the mind works. Then we start watching those those operations within our own mind. And then we see our own thought cycles, our own thought patterns, then we can start breaking them or not breaking them, but altering them, right? So it's not an easy process because it happens one thought at a time. Yoga talks about grooves. So think of it like each time you engage in the same thought. So don't think of it as compulsive behavior. Think about it as compulsive thinking. And that's why yoga is about freedom. They talk about freedom. It's, it's not that freedom of like, I want, I, I hate that. You know how teenagers talk about freedom? I, I, I want to do whatever I want to do. Right? Doing. Well, actually, no, yoga is the opposite. And true freedom, and I realize this, and it's not just yoga. It's a philosophical concept. True freedom is actually choosing what you don't want to do. Because otherwise, it's compulsive thought. What makes us different from animals? True freedom is saying, I'm not going to have that other glass of wine or that second piece of cheesecake. Being a slave to your conditionings means, man, that cheesecake was good. I'm going to fucking have another one. That's a slave to your conditionings. Now, if you make the de- decision, now you make a debate and you decide, this time I'm having the, that is still freedom because you're making a decision. But if you're just going to go with your natural compulsion, um, what's the difference between a child or an animal or you, right? Mm-hmm. So this is what I mean. I, when I always tell people about this teenage way, and like, I want to do whatever I want. But yeah, we say that's very juvenile sense of what it is. But what, then what is freedom? And people don't like the idea or can't understand what does it mean that don't, doing what you don't want to do? Because literally not doing the instinctual thing is freedom because someone slaps you, the natural thing is to slap the person back. True freedom was to be to ask yourself, wait, did I deserve that? Do I need to slap this person back? Should I slap this person back? And like I said, like depending on the situation, maybe it's a yes, but maybe it's because you said something really, really inappropriate and your grandmother slapped you. You're gonna slap that person back in the face? No, it's your grandmother. You're not gonna slap that person back in the face, right? But what if it was somebody who was attacking you and slapped you in the face on the matter? Yeah, slap that guy back, fine. But the idea is go through the process of, of making the decision, right? So it's this compulsiveness is still, uh, sorry, compulsive instead of actions, compulsive thinking is the shackles, is, that's the bondage. And so the freedom from that is to be free from those conditionings. And so people were saying to me, yeah, but there's positive conditionings. I said, yes, there is, but at the same time, In the yogic sense, that's still going to be conditioning, meaning you fall into the grooves because they were there. So in the grooving sense, they call them some scars. but basically every time I go to that same thought, you go into the groove again. So it it digs another uh, furrow. It gets deeper. So what happens? The tendency is to use it more often, and it gets more pronounced, it gets deeper.
1: Next, The Way Out of Samsara, Anger and Ego. Sasha talks about yelling at the blind for not being able to see, and makes a reference to the film classic, The Godfather.
0: Okay, well, the, the anger thing, we We're I think we are just talking about, the more you rely on certain thoughts, it becomes a compulsive thinking because you just tend to go back into that groove and it gets further, further, further entrenched. Yeah. But basically doing it one thought at a time, we can reverse that and eventually fill up that groove that was perhaps a negative compulsion, and then fill it up. Right? But we're not talking about compulsive actions. What more interesting is compulsive thinking, which people often don't even know that they're prey to. Mm-hmm. Where compulsive actions, we can see that we react to certain situations physically in certain ways, or that when, you know, like you have a cup of coffee, you have a cigarette or something, you know, there's certain compulsive mm-hmm. behaviors. But they begins, of course, with compulsive thinking you know godfather mm-hmm. so why does sonny get killed because sonny is predictable they knew exactly what would happen and they play him like a sucker they know and so they get the brother-in-law to to beat up his sister once one more time he goes nuts and then what he they know he's going to find out he's going to go after the guy and what does he have to do he has to go through that one uh, toll booth and they shoot him Right? Because they know he's gonna go there. He, they know exactly what Sonny's gonna do. And they, they abuse him. They f- make him fall into a trap, because why? Because Sonny is on autopilot, right? Like he just, huh, re- knee jerk reaction. So this is what I'm saying about like, yoga encourages you to put off autopilot and do the opposite. But many people don't realize they're on autopilot, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea is n- not to be on auto. Right. And also I feel like being on auto is not full living. something that i've been trying to work with one concept recently somebody had told me for my benefit because i was complaining of uh getting frustrated with all the kinds of stupidity and foolishness i see basically out in the world which i see as coming from the ego right mm-hmm. i mean, my my best example is always in traffic um the way people drive and behave in in in, mm-hmm. in, in traffic and so what this sufi gentleman was basically telling me is saying Look, what are you doing? Why are you getting angry with blind people for being blind? You're getting angry, you're shouting, you're getting frustrated with people who can't see because they can't see. So what are you saying is that is they don't get it. They don't get it, so even if you explain to them, you get angry with them, you don't get it. What you're gonna get is insulted, you're gonna get spat on, you're gonna get punched in the face. So he told me, don't go talk to anybody, don't try to explain to them why you should park a little bit more considerate for the fact of your neighbors, they're completely clueless, they're oblivious, right? That's a shame, but most people do live their lives like that. and That, that is an interesting analogy, and I still am working on it, I should say. Mm-hmm. But we're, I, what I was saying is, again, if you have the right knowledge, again, if I have the knowledge, and I know that they're uh, idiots or whatever the case is, then I should have changed myself. And that's basically what I'm saying to other people, and I have to do the same thing. So I can't change the idiots. That's what we said earlier. But I can change my reaction to the idiots, mm-hmm. or I can change myself to the idiots. And it's a difficult one, right? It's, it, I'm not saying it's easy. They're, they're all hard practices, and I've had difficulty a lot in this one um, because people, everybody acts out of the ego and they act like children, right? And I find that very frustrating. I find it very stupid for old, like, grown-up people to be doing this, right? Sure. But they don't know, yeah. But they don't know that they're doing it like this, and they think they're doing the right thing. They think they're the best, or they think they're doing the right thing, or they think you're wrong, or whatever the case is. And you know you're not, and they are. But I realize they're never going to get it. They're not going to get it, and you explain it, because they're going to they're they're justify it to themselves in whatever way possible to say that Sasha's an idiot, he's wrong. But, again, I can't change that, but I can change my myself and also it'll be easier much nicer for me if I don't get frustrated and angry with all these people because they don't know what I'm getting frustrated for because they don't see it themselves but the fact is if we now have again this is the same concept if you have if you have the knowledge you have to use that knowledge mm-hmm. And they don't have it and I do I shouldn't be angry with them I should be angry with myself or something right mm-hmm. I if I understand them to be ignorant mm-hmm. what am I getting angry about why am I frustrated? And then the other thing is the compassion aspect I realize comes in because you're like, oh, I, you feel bad because they're ignorant and they don't even know it. So they're, wanting, they're, they're further removed. And I, I feel bad and I feel compassion because I'm like, I don't know, because you're so far removed. It's so hard to make that first part where you realize, holy shit, I don't know what's going on in my own life. People have glimpses of that. People feel that way. With, you know, People describe it as like, I don't, I'm not in control of my life, or I don't know mm-hmm. what's happening, or how did I get here? Like victims say that. of circumstance. C- victims of circumstance, or what is it? Tossed around on the sea of fate or whatever. They, mm-hmm. they say, you know, I'm just you kind know, of... Circumstance pushes me here and there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then you have agency in your life, but we should, we should exert it. We should take that. And that's the true freedom that I think yoga can offer each individual and to humanity. But people... They often take it, but people also don't, like we said, out of ignorance, don't know they need it. Right? So it's a difficult thing, because it's, it's a difficult thing to f- tell someone who believes himself to be happy, who isn't, yeah. that he's really not unhappy. He partly knows he's not, but he doesn't want to admit to himself that he's not happy, because then something has to get done. Yeah. He'll have to do something about it. So he's like, no, no, I'll just keep telling myself. I'm like, yeah, but you're not fooling me. You're not fooling yourself either, really.
1: Like, What do you see as beyond this frustration with ignorant people,
0: my goal would be to be unaffected, to not react at all, to not be engaged and see it and let it go, you know, and see whatever idiocy on the street and not be bothered by it. But for me, my challenge now is why do I get frustrated? Because it still creates a reaction within me. I still am bothered by seeing stupid shit on the road. I'm bothered by idiots walking across, you know, um, red lights and things like that because they're looking at their cell phones and things Or people running out into traffic. I think this is I'm really bothered by this stuff, um, how stupid people are so much so that they don't even value their own lives. Yet I have to. Yeah, and it's very non-yogic things like, no, check yourself. I don't trust anybody who's gonna stop for me. Why would you put your life into someone else's kind of hand? But at the same time, I react. I'm not dealing with them. I don't stalk them, I don't deal with it, but there's a reaction within me that comes out and that's what has to be worked on with on my side, not to react or to see it and say, hey, look at that, look at this idiot running in the street and then not think of it again. Not all the way I'm driving home going, what the fuck is, what is, matter with people what is the matter with people you know doing this while I'm driving home seeing it yeah I can still also say shouldn't run out in traffic that's stupid I remember telling somebody somewhere where I was talking about something and like and I said obviously it, it's happening because look at the way I'm talking to you I am worked up about something and that tells you immediately that okay the fact that I am still talking to you about whatever incident from before means I didn't let it go you know, I was talking about an incident about letting go, but I'm like, I'm telling you this story two months after the fact. Obviously, I still have not let that go because I'm still talking about it, right? So I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is, right? We'll be happier if we can let those things go. I won't be frustrated. My frustration doesn't affect that person who's an idiot, you know? Unless we actually literally come into conflict, right? But my, or my amazement at people's stupidity doesn't make any difference to anybody else. Finally, we talk about an
1: uncertain but worry-free future. What's next for Sasha? Possibly giving up teaching yoga.
0: Uh, I am still committed to yoga, but at the same time for the future, and I was saying for practicality, I recognize that I may have to give it up which I don't have a problem with. I'm not attached to. The only problem for me is uh, what else would I do as work? Because obviously from our talk, like, you know, that's the one thing, for one, I'm very passionate about. It's the one thing I know a great deal about and probably more than most people or other people in the field even making me an expert. So it's a funny thing to give that up. However, if I can't really make a, a living, which is not really what I wanted to do, but at the same time, if I can, i fine. But if not, I'd be happy also to have a job that I um, enjoy well enough, that is good and wholesome and pays me enough, and then practice sincerely my yoga on my own. And it's true that that's something that's very important. It's not just the teaching, it's the doing. And my master was the one who reminded me, he's like, don't forget, don't get wrapped up in all this yoga teaching stuff, that's bullshit. Uh, you're a yogi. Meaning, what's more important? Teaching's not important. And it's amazing. Yeah, that's true, teaching's not important. What's important? Your practice, that you continue doing it that's important he said he says like, so take a job in a bank dedicate two hours a day to one hour in the morning one hour in the evening to your practice and he's like if you want you teach one or two classes and then for you know whatever but he says you no know, have a stable thing because that's what you need to to be able to succeed in the practice you need that stability of life if you if you're looking for food or for or anything uh, uh, if you're in desperate states or in, in poor health you can't practice right mm-hmm. So the same thing, so he would just say, stabilize your life, devote yourself, you know, two hours a day, one, one in the morning, one in the evening, two. This is what he said, and that would be great, but I don't, at the same time, I don't know what else I would do, because of the fact that my training, it's not like I'm an engineer by trade. I am a yogi by trade, <laughs> you know, like, literally, I went to school to learn how, um, really how to do this, even in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how to be really smart at this. In terms of the yoga, I'm still committed to doing it my, myself. Um, One of the things is I may be less frustrated if I remove myself from the industry a little bit, right? So one of the Mm -hmm. things that do frustrate me is the way that people do it because of the fact that this industry has been forced to be like this. Mm -hmm. I do feel that teaching in these teacher trainings is my way of getting to people early, and I'm glad that if I get any opportunities to talk to people, especially at this time, Mm -hmm. to plant ideas, even if they don't um, germinate right away, um, put something out there and they can think of it years later, fine. But what I learned is... I am feeling very strongly to share this stuff is because I think it's a natural tendency with human beings. But at a certain point, you you start mm-hmm. the more you learn. At a certain point, you want to share it with people because mm-hmm. you're very passionate about it. You think you spend a lot of your time thinking about these ideas. You talk to the people you know intimately about these ideas, and eventually, you want to ser- share some of them because mm-hmm. you are pretty clear or pretty sure about certain things, or mm-hmm. or you feel certain things are important in this field. But ideally, I would wish to be able to continue to teach and uh, maybe a little bit of asanas, but not because I was dependent on the income. Because this is something that I wanted to do to help people to have a better understanding of yoga, and also, like I said, preservation, and not to lose, what I, like I said, the diamond, the, 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 the most precious part of yoga it should not be lost because people kind of left it in the dark corner mm-hmm. for a long time. I'm not worried. But I will be honest in saying I don't know, I don't have a clear picture of where that would be. But I also feel that's okay, because I'm starting to have more clarity about now, which is good. But if you're clear now, I don't have to be worried about the the nows that are gonna come. I don't have to worry about those things that happen. And I I don't see any reason to worry. And yeah, life is of course difficult. I think I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. And I also think that the yoga is one of the factors that helps me to be that way, right? mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons, personally, I like to share it with people. Right? Mm-hmm. We're saying about my mother, but my, that uh, my father dealing with my my own personal life, my 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 family personal life was very difficult, and and yeah, and I, I know that yoga can, if it can do something for me, um, it can do a lot more for the, for for others, right? And that's why I want to share it. So there's a sincere thing about helping people in their lives. It's not the exercise. The exercise, yeah, it does whatever, but like I said, change your mind and change your life. (laughs)
1: Sasha and Angela got married this summer. Sasha still teaches. He has a blog about his teachings at srisatchmo.wordpress.com. So that's s-r-i-s-a-t-c-h-m-o.wordpress.com that I highly recommend you check out. He reminds us there that the diamond is within reach. Do not settle for shiny brass. I do hope you enjoyed what Sasha had to say as much as I did. I'm just sorry it took so long to get out. So to Sasha, my deepest apologies, and to you the listener, I thank you for spending time with us. Take good care of yourselves and each other.